0: This podcast is brought to you by the book, The Memoir Project, a thoroughly non-standardized text for writing and life, published by Grand Central Publishing. Recently updated and reissued in a new edition, it will teach you everything you need to know to write memoir. For more information, see the show notes or purchase wherever books are sold. Welcome to QWERTY, the podcast for writers on how to live the writing life. I'm Marion Roach-Smith. Each episode, I talk to writers from all genres to discover what makes a good read. And along the way, we discuss their writing process, discover their tips, and talk about what matters most to writers. So step away from the computer or typewriter for a bit and join us. Today, my guest is writer Lamia H., whose pronouns are she, they, and who is a queer Muslim writer and organizer living in New York City. Her memoir, Hijab Butch Blues, is just out from Dial Press and was one of the most anticipated books of the year. A former Lambda Literary Fellow, their work has appeared in the Los Angeles Review of Books, Salon, Vice, Autostraddle, Vox, and others. She's received fellowships from Lambda Literary, Aspen Words, and Queer Arts. Welcome, Lamya.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: Delighted to have you here. I suspect the first piece of yours I read was a 2017 piece you wrote for the Los Angeles Review of Books in which you show us what coming home entails. And you write about it beautifully. So let me set this up a bit. You were born in South Asia, moved to the Middle East at a young age, and then came to the US knowing almost no one, attended school here, and now live in the New York City metropolitan area. You have spent years feeling out of place. So let's talk about that out of placeness. What does being out of place allow in writing?
1: That's a great question. Interestingly, I find that this idea of being out of place or displaced or someone who's from various places and someone who has moved around a lot, lends itself really well to experimentation and queerness and writing. I know that when I was just sort of like coming into my queerness and really thinking about what that means and how I want to live, one of the things that I found a lot of solace in was this idea that I knew what it was like to move and I knew what it was like to go somewhere else and start over. And I always had that available to me. And I think in some ways that is such a great blueprint for writing too, because I think it allows you to move between worlds in certain ways. Um, It allows you to imagine other possibilities. It it allows you to not be afraid of who you are and where you are, because if you need to, you could always start over Mm -hmm. and... Yeah, I think I think what I love most about writing in particular and that concept is that it really allows you to imagine different lives both for yourself and for others and and really gives you that sort of like mental flexibility to think through sort of who you are and where you are but also the who you are that you could be and the where you are that you could become. Mm.
0: Yes, I think so. I think that that you can fly over and be of on the same page. It's fascinating. And and I've read that you wanted to write a, a memoir that was, quote, "...unabashedly queer and unabashedly Muslim." And I hope no one listening needs to be brought up to date on what is going on in America, in the world, on those fronts. But I've also read interviews with you pre-publication that openly discuss your fear Mm. of publication and the self-care you engaged in to prepare. So talk to me about balancing out the fear of the inevitable exposure via publication that allowed you to get to the desk and move into writing this book.
1: Yeah, I mean, like writing is so interesting because it's such a solitary pursuit in some ways. You know, you sit at a desk at a computer and you put words on a page. And then, you know, for me, I forgot that on the other end is a reader who is going to read these things and know all of these things about me. And in some ways, writing a memoir in particular is like, is especially vulnerable because mm-hmm. you're putting, you know, your whole life out there and you know I was writing things that I was like wait do my friends know this about me and you know sometimes I'd write something and my partner would read it and she would be like wait what I was there in the same experience I didn't know you were feeling these things you you know weren't able to share you know in words aloud in ways that I could when I was writing so it's really interesting because not only are you sort of like putting words on a page, but then you have a reader. And then there's also just like a bigger, broader audience who, you know, is reading your words and has thoughts and feelings about it. And I was definitely very, very, very nervous putting my work out into the world. I have been for a long time, you know, I've written essays before, like you've talked about. And, you know, even then, like I would get, some pretty mean comments either about sort of like queerness or muslimness or both and so I was I was very nervous with this book and I chose to write it under a pseudonym which I think was a really really good life decision Mm -hmm. both because of you know what this country is like right now for people who are queer and people who are muslim and both um, but also because in some ways being able to write this book anonymously really allowed me to be honest and vulnerable in ways that I just couldn't have without that layer of protection yeah so Mm -hmm. I was definitely nervous but it's also been really interesting to see the response that the book has garnered (laughs) I know, I know that you're not supposed to read comments on the internet about your work. um, And (laughs) I really wish I had the uh, stamina to not do that, but I don't. So I frequently read things, but it's been really lovely to see it resonate with so many people. And then a lot of people have been emailing me really lovely, positive things. And it's... Definitely been a whirlwind, and definitely not what I've expected. Um, so it's felt that's felt really, really good.
0: I'm so glad. I'm relieved mm. um, for you, and a bit for this country and for the world. You've taken a little of the pressure out of my head by saying that. So, so thank you. One of the pieces of advice writers are given is to write the book they want to read. Mm. So. I can't imagine, even if you had grown up from from infancy in this country, that you would have seen yourself on the shelves in the children's books that I'm familiar with, in in the young adult literature that I know. So I don't want to put words in your mouth about what it's like not to see yourself on the shelves. But I wonder about how you get out of the way of the emotional content and are able to write a book knowing that there isn't one like this on the shelves. If it's anger, for instance, mm. that can be a very intrusive emotion. If it's So again, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but what do you do with that emotional content that must be present in anyone who cannot find themselves mm. on the bookshelves?
1: So I definitely have so much experience with not seeing myself on the page. Growing up in where I grew up, um, which is this country in the Middle East, um, we, you know, had sort of like very limited access to books in English. And I think it wasn't until high school that I read a book that prominently featured a person of color. And when I did, it blew my mind because I was like, wait, hold on, you can write books about brown people? I just like... It, like, it hadn't even occurred to me that that was a possibility. So it's really cool to see so many genres exploding in that way. Currently, I feel like in the YA world especially, there, it seems like there's so much, so many books that are about queer people, about people of color, um, even about Muslims. And so it's been really, really cool to see. And in terms of my book... I wanted to write something that felt definitely like something that i would have wanted to read as a younger person but what seems really cool is that it doesn't feel like it's the only one anymore i think maybe like 10 15 years ago it would have been but mm-hmm. it's so cool to see how many other even like queer muslim books there are i was thinking about this a lot right before my publication and i was thinking a lot about sort of like the books that i've read that have influenced me and you know i sat down and made a twitter thread of the various queer Muslim books that I've read and there were so many and it was just so lovely to sort of like curate that list and be like, oh, I'm not the only one and how cool that I can write into this context.
0: That's great.
1: So we didn't
0: really talk about anger because that's not what you uh, you identified as being a motivation, mm. and, and that's perfect. But your Twitter handle is Lamia is angry, and your subhead on Twitter states that you are quote queer, brown, non-binary, Muslim, too angry to be your tragic narrative, which I just love. But in many ways, your book chronicles a history of your anger, how it emerges, grows, evolves, and provides mm. for you. But anger can be a really difficult mistress when writing memoir because it can leave us kind of typing with our elbows, you know, Mm. like pounding on the keyboard. And when we do that, we forget to contextualize for the reader. We just kind of yell at them. So let's talk about the tension between being angry and having the patience to bring us along because there's an awful lot of cultural education that you supply very gracefully for us. So how did you navigate that?
1: Uh, First of all, thank you so much for identifying that as a theme. I worried when I was writing this that it was something that was lost or that could easily be lost because I think anger is such a big undercurrent in terms of my motivation for both like living and writing and interestingly Mm -hmm. I came to writing through anger so I used to tell stories all the time about various things that had happened um, in my life and things that you know like various like microaggressions or macroaggressions or like forms of discrimination and this one time my friend was like you know that sort of rage dissipates unless you do something about it so why don't you try writing and that's kind of how I came to writing in my um late 20s and for me being able to sort of like pin that anger onto the page has always been it's been a real learning process because like you talked about like sometimes you know sometimes it's easy to get lost in that anger and use that anger almost as a crutch and not sort of like think through things use that sort of like anger as an overwhelming uh, emotion. And then the sort of like reflectiveness gets lost. Yes. But it's definitely something that I had to learn how to do. As I was learning how to write, I feel like I had to learn how to write anger in particular. And for me, a big part of that is trusting my reader. That my reader will both see the source of the anger and that I can give my reader enough context to understand where that's coming from, but I don't have to spell it out for them and that I can really sort of like sit in that trust that my reader is attentive um, and intentional and from sort of like reading the surrounding emotions and the context will really like understand where that anger is coming from and then also where that anger Mm -hmm. is going and where it's becoming channeled. You mentioned,
0: uh, I love that answer, it's generous as it can be about anger. And in it, you mentioned Learning to write. And I know you describe yourself as having come to writing late, which I had to giggle a little bit because you were in your 20s. So it's (laughs) not too late, I promise. And I love the idea of somebody suggesting that it might be a portal for you to work through some stuff. But you had never trained as a writer or taken a writing class. And yet you choose a very non-linear way of laying out the story. It's, It's very complex and wonderful, and it works beautifully. Complex, I don't mean that it's hard to follow. Complex, I mean that it takes a lot of themes and goes in a lot of time zones without us ever getting lost. So you thank your friends and people who gave you feedback it late in the book. And I, and I wonder if you could just shed a little light on the process of this, who got to read it and, and when, and, and how you asked mm. for what you needed so that you could learn to write.
1: So when I talk about coming to writing late, part of it is just like, A, I wish I had done it earlier. You know, I had, I wish that it had been a big part of my life, you know, in my teens and my early twenties. And then, on the other hand, I think I think a lot of people just have a lot of practice with writing through things like writing classes or even like in school, um, and I didn't really have a lot of that. I had a lot of practice with reading, which to me became sort of like a practice um, and a way to learn writing. That's where that comes from. When it came to writing and editing, I found It's so helpful to get feedback from friends and various um, people in my community. I really don't think I could have taught myself how to write without sort of this context of these people who, you know, really volunteered their. time and energy to look through various first drafts to like point out to me what it means to show and not tell I'm so indebted to so many of my mentors in terms of that yeah and then for me I I went on a writing retreat with Lambda which I think was like one of the things that really changed how I saw myself as a writer it really made me take myself seriously and it clarified for me what kind of writing I wanted to do and what I wanted to do with my writing and then and one of the best things for me to come out of that was that I ended up with a community of writers. I had a friend who started, who started a writing workshop club situation, and we would meet once a month and, you know, trade pages. And Through a lot of these, you know, I was able to get something that I really crave, um, which is accountability and deadlines. And then on the other hand, like just having that sort of constant feedback about what was working, what wasn't working, I I found that so helpful. Um, One of the things that we did in my workshop, which really sort of like, changed how I think about feedback is that we read aloud our work and then got feedback in real time which is so rare I think especially with like early drafts to be able to get but it was really cool to see sort of like firsthand and immediately what resonated with people and what didn't you know what parts people laughed at what parts I hoped people would laugh at but they didn't and yeah. <laughs> so I think I think that was like one of the coolest most helpful things that I've done as a writer.
0: The reading aloud part is so highly recommended. I was given that advice for my first book in when I was in my 20s and I have stuck mm-hmm. with it ever since. To hear it to have someone to read it to is genius because you're right, if they don't laugh and you thought they would, you can go back in there and figure out why not. There's a lot of things that I marveled at, many things that I marveled at in the book, especially for a first book. Hijab, Butch, Blues is your first book, and yet you take on structure like a master. And I teach structure classes, and I will assign this book and ask people to have a look at the structure. You choose... The navigation markers the reader must witness to metabolize your story, you do so via stories of the, of the Quran, And specifically, early in the book, you write that you want to disappear. It's what's mm. at stake in the, Act 1. It's a crisis. But one day, in a Quran class, you read a passage about Miriam, who, when she learns that she was pregnant, insisted that no man had touched her. And you begin to wonder, could Miriam, uninterested in men, be like you? Uninterested in men. And from that moment, you navigate your life comparing your experiences with some of the most famous stories that we know. Considering you come up alongside Musa, who is also known as Moses, liberating his people from the Pharaoh, and you ask if Allah, who is neither male nor female, might be non binary. We re meet Nuh or Noah, who is tasked with building the ark, just as you are tasking yourself with building your own life on your own terms. So here's the question. My audience is writers and they get ideas about structure and then talk themselves out of it immediately. They say, Oh, mm. I can't do that. I can't take stories from the Quran or stories from the Bible or stories I, I, I can't I can't co-opt those and and compare my they'll talk themselves out of it. So talk about getting and sustaining this idea.
1: I think what really helped me honestly was Bravado and not knowing that I couldn't do it. <laughs> yeah, <bottom>.
0: it's great.
1: <laughs> I think I think there's a, so much that's generative out of being foolhardy. And I feel like in some ways I lucked into this. I love reading braided essays. I, I love reading writing where people are taking two sort of like parallel tracks and exploring them side by side and intertwining them. And sometimes in ways that aren't necessarily obvious, but that are just there and some of the writers that do this really well for me um, include Melissa Fabos and Esme Wang's The Collected Schizophrenias. And so in some ways, I feel like reading a lot of those helped because I was really, I was able to see what worked and I was able to sort of like dissect uh, what I wanted to do in my writing. And then I, I love telling stories and I love retelling stories. And to me, the retelling stories from the Quran came Pretty naturally, because in some ways I had always been doing that, um, and I had always been thinking about these characters both in the Quran and in all the various books that I had read, and you know, really sort of wondering at their internal thoughts, um, at their decisions, at their messiness, at their flaws, and yeah, so. To me, um, being able to look at those stories side by side with my own, I feel like one of the things I had to really learn how how to do is how to be subtle and how to really let both stories of, you know, the various figures in the Quran and my own stories, um, how to let them breathe on their own without sort of like hammering my reader over the head with how the two sort of like intertwined and how they spoke to each other. So interestingly, I, I feel like I had to almost like learn how to scale back. And yeah, and I think what really helped um, apart from sort of like friends and community giving me lots of feedback is just having an amazing editor who was really able to sort of like take these stories and step back and look at them from a holistic point of view, look at sort of like structure across the entire book and also on the level of an essay. So because I had never written anything long, I, I feel like I also had to learn how to move through time and space while also giving um, my reader context and cues. And what, what was really helpful was having an amazing editor who had such a good eye for both the big picture and the smaller details.
0: Yeah, that's incredibly helpful. And I think the idea of this being the quotidian, that that you are reading the Quran daily, alone, and in community, that this is Mm -hmm. what you did. This wasn't a stretch. This really is. If we're, many of us have ideas as writers, we're walking along, suddenly we see the metaphor, as you just said, the braided idea, that there's a great similarity between this and this. And we might say that's outrageous, but the idea that it is part of your daily life—the reading of the Quran—I think really makes this feel so organic, mm. and it allows for these builds, these really big life builds. Can I be queer, Miriam? Is Miriam? Is she de- is. Can I build this arc for myself? And I think. I, no, I know by far and away my favorite of the, of the many builds you have in this book is the slow build you bring to the page of why and how you use a mm-hmm. pseudonym and what it does for you. And you, you talked about the pseudonym earlier, but can you just set this up a bit for the reader and how you chose to use the story I know as Jonah and the whale to inhabit your pseudonym?
1: Yeah, so uh, this is one of the chapters that is towards the end of the book and it involves a conversation between me and my friend and this is a friend who, you know, again, I've had so many conversations with about prophets and, you know, we um, we start off playing this game where we talk about our favorite prophets and, you know, pick our, pick our faves um, uh, and one of her favorites is Jonah, also known as Eunice and... And it's interesting because my whole life, I've always sort of like rolled my eyes at Eunice being like, okay, he's the one who walked away from his people. And then, you know, he, uh, he gets swallowed by a whale and that's like a punishment from God for, for walking away and giving up and, you know, um, giving up when things got hard with the people that he was sent to. And my friend for who, uh, Eunice is one of her faves, she was like, wait, Hold on, like you have this entire thing wrong. Like, what are you talking about? He doesn't give up. He leaves because it's a terrible use of his energy to continue to sort of preach to these people who are just not listening to him. And from there, that really struck me. Um, I was really surprised. And, you know, I'm, I'm not someone who likes to back away from a fight. So I definitely, you know, fought with her a little bit. Like, what are you talking about? You're totally wrong. But um, the more that I thought about it, the more that I realized that actually, yes, this is something that I've had to learn as a lesson, you know, how to sort of pick your battles in some way and how to not deplete yourself because you're fighting all the time and how to really sort of like channel some of that anger and some of that energy into fights that are actually more productive, um, into, you know, organizing or like going to protests or something, or something instead of constantly like arguing with your coworkers about various things. And yeah, so that made me think a lot about the ways in which the whale is, is not actually punishment, but is protection. And to me, there was this huge parallel between writing under a pseudonym, which I've done for many years now, and this idea of sort of like protection and like learning how to have boundaries and learning learning what i want to devote energy towards and what i don't want to devote energy towards um, so one of the things that was really important to me for example when writing this book was just to not be googleable and to feel like i had privacy and safety even though i know that those are very loaded terms and to me it it feels like being in a whale and having this semblance of protection and who knows maybe maybe at some point in my life I won't need that whale anymore or I will find myself outside the whale but for now it's really important to me to have those things and to think of it not as this like idea of punishment and not this sort of like tragic thing where like oh no like you know I'm this is so awful, I can only tell my story through a pseudonym, but actually to think of it as protection and to think of it as a channeling of my energy. And instead of using my energy towards worrying and anxiety, actually I can channel that energy towards writing and living.
0: Well, we're very grateful that you do, and it's the perfect place to wind this up. That was a great answer about pseudonym, a great answer about... The transcendence we can experience when we think something through. And your book provides so many moments for us to think things through. Thank you, Lamia. I uh, wish you all the best with it. And I'm deeply honored that you agreed to come in and talk about it. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: You're so welcome. The writer is Lamia H. See more on her at lamiah.com. I'm Marion Roach-Smith, and you've been listening to QWERTY. QWERTY is produced by Overit Studios in Albany, New York. Reach them at overitstudios.com. Our producer is Adam Claremont. Our assistant is Lorna Bailey. Want more on the art and work of writing? Visit marionroach.com, the home of the memoir project, where writers get their needs met through online classes and how to write memoir. And thanks for listening. Don't forget to follow Courty wherever you get your podcasts and listen to it wherever you go. And if you like what you hear, please leave us a star review. It helps others to find their way to their writing lives.